Welcome back to our fourth episode of Jesuit Balcony Conversations. JBC. This episode will have Eric Travis on to talk about his book, Wander Purposefully, and how to use absorbent learning in your life. Billy, we've been off the air for a little bit now. Just a little, Patrick. But patience is a virtue, guys, and we're really excited to be back. We are back, baby. It's like we never left. And we are still in Detroit, Michigan. All right, moving on. Moving forward. Ooh, hashtag JBC moving forward. Real talk, though. Is anybody using the hashtag? Is anybody using Vine? Patrick, Vine's dead. Well, now this intro's dead. Thanks, Billy. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, though, God isn't. There's been a couple of moments Billy and I have experienced God working in mysterious ways. Billy, where have you seen God since our last episode? You know, thank you, Patrick, for that question and for that intro into finding God in all things. And something that, you know, I was a part of this afternoon, today is a Friday, and, uh, you know, last week I've been a part of this, this Clark Park protest that we have right in southwest Detroit. And, you know, I really want to highlight last Friday, uh, October 18th, I went along with a group of students and ministers from Detroit Mercy, where I work, to Clark Park. And like I said, it's in our very own community in Southwest. And so what happens there is every Friday afternoon, they have what's called the We Stand With Our Neighbors Weekly Vigil. And it's a group of people stand and they hold signs to protest the ways that immigrants are being treated in this country. And it's really relevant in our neighborhood because there's a high population of Hispanic and Mexican people. And you know the signs there, they say things like, no one is illegal, immigrants welcome, build bridges of love, not walls of hate. And I want to highlight on their website, uh, their Facebook page actually, the Facebook page is called uh, We Stand With Our Neighbors Weekly Vigil, if you'd like to look. And their Facebook page talks about how they got started, saying, this weekly vigil was started in response to school children in southwest Detroit whose teachers and counselors are deeply concerned about the trauma students are experiencing as they face the threat and reality of detention and deportations. So, you know, as we're there on the corner, it's while school's getting out. And, you know, school, school bus full of children went by at one point waving and smiling. Families walked by. People are honking their horns and yelling in support of us standing there. And, you know, this is clearly an issue that affects our community, and they clearly appreciate the support of us standing there at the corner. And... What amazes me is they've done this on the street corner every Friday, no matter the weather, for the past 30 months. My gosh. They're there in winter. They're there in rain. And it's just incredible to me the length that people are willing to go to show that everyone is welcome in this community, in our community here. And, uh, you know, upon reflection, one thing I've learned about myself thus far in uh, my Jesuit volunteer year is I do, you know, you know this, Patrick, I really enjoy going to protests. And thinking about, like, where do I find God in that, I have found God kind of in protesting injustice. And to me, there's something really powerful about saying you won't stand for certain social injustices. And, you know, we demand all humans are treated with human dignity. And thinking right now about immigrants who are facing such cruel treatment at the border, I mean, children who are dying in detention centers and people that are facing, immigrants that are facing threats of deportation now with things that are happening within this current administration. And so, you know, no one should have to live in fear. And for me, standing on the corner, holding these signs is just one small way that uh, it's just showing immigrants that they're welcome in Southwest Detroit. Mm-hmm. So, Totally. Billy, you've been at the forefront of this ever since, you know, September, You've when you were in New Jersey protesting a similar cause and a similar issue about child detention. 
why is this issue in particular of importance to you? Like, why why are you out in the streets in southwest Detroit um, protesting? Yeah, uh, it's just such a critical concern, and it's just a critical issue of our time. And, you know, like I mentioned, we see children dying at the border in detention centers because of how awful the conditions are, and people aren't being treated fairly. They're not being treated like humans deserve to be treated. And, you know, thinking, you know, we don't just, we're not just there to protest the detention. We're just, we're also there to show that we support immigrants. And today I'm really thinking a lot about uh, DACA recipients and thinking about, you know, next month, November 12th, DACA is going in front of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people are scared and concerned about losing their rights to, uh, to be citizens. And any ways that we can show our support uh, to immigrants are really beneficial. And that's why I really like standing there. That's mm. what I really... Yeah, no, I, I... So much I resonate with you just being in Southwest Detroit. It's been challenging for myself on multiple levels coming from um, the place I was in like the Pacific Northwest and like um, in a very urban and high thriving area to come um, to a part of the city of Detroit that is incredibly diverse, rich with a Hispanic and Latino population, young, um, that are doing a variety of things, not only in the neighborhood, but also in the city. They're artists, they're mechanics, they're lawyers, they're policymakers. I work with them at UNI. So just hearing you speak and hearing what you have done so far, not only with New Jersey, but also just on a consistent basis working within our neighborhood. It's, uh, it's been motivating and inspiring to me just seeing you out there. And I said on our first episode, but you really do practice what you preach. And um, I'm just thankful. That, well, thank uh, you, Patrick. That's yeah. really good to hear that, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring it back home and bring this issue kind of to the forefront so people hear about it, they're aware of it. And I'm glad that what I do has made you think more about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Patrick. Any mysterious ways God has worked within you lately? Yeah. Since our last episode, I felt God so much at the presence of what I do at my work, as well as just the area in which we serve at, at UNI. So late Thursday night on October 10th, there was smoke coming out of the classroom windows of Phoenix Multicultural Academy. The sirens of firefighter trucks and ambulances echoed in the night. And in the midst of the fire, two firefighters were injured. Residents gathered, and they alerted their neighbors of the destruction. Phoenix had been closed down for three years. The decision came from the Education and Achievement Authority, or EAA. Founded in 2011, the EAA was a state-run governing school district that oversaw 15 of Detroit's lowest performing schools. During its six-year tenure, the EAA failed on several fronts to improve their schools. Enrollment in all of the schools fell from 11,000 students to 6,000. Special education classes were cut, and two-thirds of EAA's schools were ranked in the bottom 5% in the state for achievement. These problems plagued the EAA from creating the positive change they sought to create for Detroit's most underperforming schools. In May of 2016, the EAA voted to shut down Phoenix Elementary. Mm. 
The decision was made after years of decline in enrollment of the school. The closure of the school left students and families in a tremendously difficult spot. If this school was monitored by EAA, how could families trust when their representatives say that they would ensure their students would be enrolled at high-achieving schools? For residents, what does this vacancy mean for their livelihood? In the absence of Phoenix, community organizers like you and I and Congress of Communities were at the forefront when it came to ensuring that the building and property would be used for the community's needs. There's a park at Phoenix Elementary that you and I has been curating ever since Phoenix started. So where I find God in all this is hearing my coworkers, as well as residents, hear how much spaces like Phoenix and the park that we curate mean to the community. In the midst of bureaucracy changes with the EAA and the Detroit Public Schools Community District, it's important that community organizers continue to listen and prioritize the residents in our neighborhood. Well, Patrick, thank you for sharing all that and really complex story, really a lot happening and going on. And I just hear that you're frustrated with what happens with the EAA. And it seems that though at times they act on behalf of the communities, but like they don't know the community's struggles. And uh, I'm inspired, like personally, you've shared a lot about what you all do at UNI. And a lot, it really inspires me, you know, making sure that you listen to and understand the needs of the community in Southwest Detroit and that you respond to that and that what your work is is really helping to cultivate that community and our community and in uh, creating those spaces. And I really think that that's great work that you do. So in thinking about all this, like, has anything else come up? Have there been any updates? And Yeah, so unfortunately, another fire happened wow. this week, Tuesday, October 22nd. And there's been rumors and speculations about, you know, what was people don't know what caused the first fire that happened on the earlier this month. So there have been talks that and just conversations that this has been, you know, uh, an attempt by the new administration for the Detroit Public School District and now selling this property over to a private investor, a private owner and they have attempted to deliberately burn the building for the sake of this deal. Mm. So we fear that that is happening. We've had partnerships with, we, you and I, has had partnerships with Phoenix and the Detroit Public School System prior um, of using the building and making it a center for adult education and as well as curating the park and keeping that a space. So with this recent fire, as well as um, an inability from the superintendent to meet with UNI as well as COC and other nonprofits, it just kind of begs a lot of uh, questions about this administration when it comes to serving under um, performing schools and schools that frankly are in need of a lot of resources. Patrick, did we have a guest for the show today? We did have a guest. We have a really special guest. He's a dear friend of mine. I first met him while I was working at a construction company in 2017. At the time, I was just fortunate to have somebody to talk to at work in the midst of building really a copious amount of IKEA furniture. Wow. Yeah. 
And a couple of years later, we reunited at a bar near our alma mater. And he shared with me a project that he was working on that really captivated my curiosity. Hmm. Today, I know him to be a lover of Guns N' Roses, LaCroix, and all things learning. I'm so glad he was willing to talk with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Travis. Travis. Hey, Pat. Good to be here. Um, Billy, great to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you. I have really enjoyed listening to your book, Wander Purposefully, which is going to come into our conversation, I'm sure, a little bit of today. So, Eric, could you tell us a little bit about your book, Wander Purposefully, just to provide a bit of context for what we're going to talk about? Sure. So this book, um, it is the culmination of about five years of work from like idea inception to idea execution. And basically, it, uh, in essence, is a self-development book that tries to encourage people to learn when they don't have time to learn. So it, it coaches you how to force learning into your day when you don't have you know, the motivation to learn, when you don't have the time to learn, when you don't have the resources to learn. Um, that's what it, that's its main purpose. Uh, but it's set alongside this, this narrative vehicle of the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, uh, which is something that I hiked uh, last year. And uh, so the book is set alongside that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's a little intro to it. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think that's a really good distinction and something that you've expressed to myself and you want to, I think a big message of the book that I've been trying to as well um, talk about. It's not just your experience hiking the PCT it's not um, solely about that experience and how that transformed yourself, but it's more about this model that's really been um, the cornerstone and foundation of, of this project. It's a lifelong process to get here. Um, so. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not really, it's not a memoir. I didn't want to write a memoir, which is mostly what people who do this sort of uh, crazy ludicrous trek will do uh they'll 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 talk about their experience and although that can be pretty inspiring by itself um i had a lot more to say in terms of how i chose to learn along this journey that i think was really unique uh to me versus everyone else out there yeah it is very unique and something you talk about a lot is just like white space and uh, when you hike this trail, you had this really great opportunity where like your full day was provided with this white space. And can you just give us, can you just provide, tell us a little bit more about what is like white space and where do people find it in their like day-to-day -day context? So basically, let me, let me start with these. There's two forms of learning that I feel um, encapsulates every, all the learning that we do uh, in day-to-day -day life. So the first type of learning that I'm gonna talk about here is not what the book's about, but it'll help uh, describe the second type, which is what the book is about. So the first type is active learning. And active learning is when you are specifically taking time out of your day to do nothing but learn. So that, that encompasses like going to school, like reading a physical book, watching a documentary, you're sitting down and you're doing that, you're learning. The second type of learning, which is what this whole book is about, is what I call absorbent learning. 
that absorbent learning is learning done within your life's white space. So that was your question. So what, what is white space? White space is any time within your day where your hands are busy, but your mind is not critically involved with the activity that your hands are doing. For example, uh, your commute. You're driving your car with your hands, but you're not really critically involved with the action of commuting. You're you're kind of you're doing uh, what I call your your mind is wandering aimlessly. Like I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I will drive my car, and all of a sudden it's a half hour later, and I'm like, how how did I get here? And yeah. what was I thinking about? <laughs> and yeah, and so that's that's a white that's a very common white space in your day in which you can insert learning into that space. And then your mind is no longer doing, your mind is no longer wandering aimlessly. It's now wandering purposefully. And that's the, that's the title of the book. It's how to, uh, how to wander purposefully within your, within your life's white space. And the purpose is to learn something that will either serendipitously benefit you in the future somehow, or to connect you with, with somebody, uh, around you. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really important concept and really, uh, really great that you have language for that space and language for um, explaining how important it is to use that time and how beneficial it is. Um, you know, it is like, I don't know if there is a study, but like we do spend a lot of our days like in the car, we do spend a lot of our days like doing mm -hmm. mundane tasks that we maybe we turn off because we're like tired or fatigued so um i just want to talk maybe to the listener that's like okay like you know i just got back from work can you talk about this in your book but like you know maybe if you're working from nine to like eight or you're working nine or ten hour days and you go back and you're like that's the only white space you have like what do you say to that like listener that? Um, you know, is kind of fatigued and is like, you know, what, what, like, how do I like use that white space in a way that's like beneficial to me? Do I have to like read an encyclopedia? Do I have to read like a certain text? Um, yeah. And I think just to add on to that question, like how can the white space be used in a way that's like refreshing and like rejuvenating and not just like tiring? So just to build sure, on. That. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So but it's important to realize that your white space is not always best used learning. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to do some introspection and not, and not uh, go hundred percent learning all the time. But there are times in your day when you, when you feel like you're, when you feel like you're just wasting time. And those are the, those are the times that you can, uh, you can take advantage of. And so active learning is, not absorbent learning, but active learning is very, very important. Uh, but there are a few issues with it that stop us from engaging in it as much as possible. So for, for example, you need to have, in order to actively learn, you need to have some prerequisites to even begin to actively learn. One, you need the time to do it. Secondly, you need the motivation. You can't be tired and uh, in order to learn anything. And thirdly, you need resources to learn actively. And a lot of people don't have those resources. So there's, so absorbent learning is not, 
is not supposed to replace active learning. It's supposed to be a supplement to active learning. And uh, I think it's just a, a big opportunity in people's day that, that people don't realize that they're, they're wasting these, uh, these, uh, these opportunities. And um, yeah, I think that answers your question, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Thank you. Just uh, changing topics, changing subjects just a little bit. Something uh, that I related to a lot in listening to the book is kind of this theme of discomfort you talked about. And you talked about it just in uh, how you hiked the trail. And something we talk about a lot in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps is the idea of being uncomfortable and like leaning into discomfort. And how can this lead to learning new and different perspectives? And so uh, you talk about this a lot in your book, but I also just ask, like, how do you seek ways to continue to leave your own comfort zone and just encounter new experiences in your life? Yeah, so I, I started to talk about the, the types of absorbent learning. The, the third type of absorbent learning, which is what you're talking about here, is what I call experiential absorbent learning. And basically, that's when you leave your comfort zone in order to experience a point of view that's different than your own. So, and a big reason to do that is the realization that no matter where you grew up, no matter who influenced you, whether it be your parents, however well-meaning they were, uh, no matter the surrounding influences around you, that that point of view is extremely narrow when you take it in the scope of the world. Mm -hmm. And, and so to be able to, to be, to be able to empathize with people with, with different points of views, the only way in which you can do that is to leave your comfort zone and go experience that point of view. You can't empathize with, the, with a point of view unless you know that point of view exists. And, and how do I, you know, continue to experientially absorbently learn? Well, the best way to do that, I think, is to, is to travel. And, uh, or, you know, it doesn't even need to be an, a different country. It sounds like you guys, uh, I'm not sure where you're from, Billy, but Pat has moved from Washington State to Detroit mm -hmm. to, to just experience this entirely different uh, well, maybe not entirely different. They still speak English, but it's still, nonetheless, it's a different socioeconomic, socioeconomic uh, a layout. And he's, you know, he's, you guys are really going outside of your comfort zones and you're practicing experiential absorbent learning uh, in this year that you guys are doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Billy, do you want to tell? Yeah, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from a little bit north of Milwaukee. So a little bit closer than Seattle, but yeah, you, like you said, it's very, very different. So. Yeah, cheesehead, huh? Yep. <laughs> yep. I'm a Viking fan. Oh, no. Don't hold it against me. No one's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, Eric, you're um, just what you've been talking about with experiential learning. Um, it just reminded me of uh, a part of the book when you talk about your bays and your estuaries and that was one of my favorite parts of your book when you talk about um the differences between yeah. the two yeah yeah I, I can explain that yeah uh so for the listeners we're not talking b-a-e 
S. We're talking B <laughs> and A, um, Y S. Just like the body of like water. How you like use the body of language. Thank you for clarifying. Exactly. Like the salt water talking, mixing in with the fresh water. Your boyfriends and, like, and girlfriends. We're talking yeah, body um, of water. Yeah. We're, so there's there's this uh, there's this metaphor that I use in the book, and it's a biological metaphor metaphor, and it's it's based on the fact that uh, a bay is a body of water that uh, that consists of only salt water, and when you add a freshwater source into that salt water uh, bay, into that salt water bay, like so, so if you have a river flowing into a bay, that that meeting of the of the river, the freshwater river, you know, that originates from a snowmelt or something, that meeting from the freshwater river and the saltwater bay be, uh, forms this 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 ecosystem that's called an estuary and an estuary is uh well known for the you know the biological at uh diversity that they that uh they encompass so for example things that can live in salt water can also live in an estuary and things that live in fresh water can also live in an estuary so there's a lot of diversity and so uh, when you apply this to somebody's life, like say you, like I was saying before, people people are are uh, born with a certain point of view based upon where they come from and who influences them. So that that's what I call the bay. That's what you that's what you know as reality. And when you begin to add other people's points of view uh, through like a freshwater source, like a river, like if you if you add other points of view, other sources into your bay, you all of a sudden are 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 now able to to see the world uh, with more with more context, you know. So so your 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 bay is now an estuary and thus can have more biological possibilities. Um, and so that's that's a metaphor that I use in the book. Yeah, thank you. Uh, just changing topics a little bit once again. Uh, in your book, you talk about being born and raised Christian, and but you also talk about the importance it is for you that on the trail you did listen to some other religious texts and that how that's important for you. And I'm just wondering, is there uh, do you still engage in your religion, or is there like a spiritual prayer practice that you do on a regular basis, and like is that fruitful, productive for your own learning? Sure. Yeah. So I I, I was born I was raised Catholic, and I still go to mass every Sunday, and um, every Sunday that I can. And mm -hmm. so one thing that kind of I I have a kind of a complicated uh, thought process on this, but the, the there's something called the golden rule in Catholicism and Christianity, which is mm -hmm. you know treat others as you would treat yourself, right? And that's one of the most important morality morality precepts I think there is ever anywhere. And um, if everybody would do that, then I feel like everybody uh, the the world would be a much uh, nicer place but so there's this part of me that that feels that learning about other people's cultures and whether that be 
uh, reading some somebody else's holy book, which I did on the PCT. I listened to 71 audiobooks on the PCT. And of those audiobooks, you know, the Quran was in there, the Bible was in there, Old and New mm -hmm. Testament. Uh, the Book of Mormon was in there. Um, a couple others were in there. Uh, so when I think of treating others as I would treat myself, I realize that other people are, are born with other religions. And that's based upon what, where they are born and who their parents are. And that's the biggest, the biggest you know, indicator of what someone's faith is, is what their parents' faith are. And so in order for me to treat somebody as I would like to be treated, I would then need to learn as much about their faith as I can, because I want them to understand my faith and, and not and just walking around, not knowing anything about somebody else's faith is, I feel, uh, I feel that that is um, not, I don't want to say disrespectful, uh, but it's it's a little um i'm i'm struggling to find the word i think it's disingenuous can yeah, yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but i think it can lead to being disrespectful and it can lead to misguided views if you don't really understand where people are coming from in their core religion beliefs so yeah yeah so i i put a i put a big emphasis on learning more than more than prayer and that might be uh that might be controversial to some people but i feel that the more i understand about somebody uh, about other people's cultures and the more time i spend learning about those people's cultures the more you know m moral i can be as a christian and um i my 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 points of view are always evolving, but that's kind of how I feel right now. And um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's totally, um, I think that approach to learning in, in, uh, is very, I mean, there is a spiritual, there's a theology connection to it. I think with the Jesuits as well, like um, their mission and a lot of, um, their practices is rooted in being open and learning about kind of the ways in which people do things and f having that framework and having that when approaching like people of different backgrounds, people of different identities, like sexual rate, um, or, you know, that sort those sorts of matters. Um, I think that is very profound and that can be very, um, moving spiritually. Um, so I just, I appreciate you for willing, uh, for just embracing these texts, embracing such, um, texts that mean so much to people's lives and people's identities. And you talk about, um, you know, how that enhances one's bay. And, um, I think that is, that's just very profound that you were, you were able to, you want to do that. So. Yeah, and here's 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 the big idea here. Once I once I learn about somebody's culture and whether that be, you know, we've only touched on the types of absorbent learning, but I've I've learned how to say thank you in like 50 different languages. 
-hmm. and I can say, and I can, I know the capital of pretty much every country on earth through these, through these techniques that I share in this book, but, uh, the ability to, to verbally uh, connect with somebody who is different from you is just so, so powerful when it comes to, when it comes to worldly relations, like, for example, there's, there's, when I, where I, where I live right now in Seattle, uh, a lot of the Uber drive, I take a lot of Ubers a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the Uber drivers happen to be Ethiopian. And just my, I, I get in the, I get in the, the car and I ask them where they're, what accent they're using uh, and where they're from. And they, they'll say Ethiopia. And then I say something in Ethiopian to them. It's called Amharic, actually, the language. And all of a sudden, they, they light up. And uh, they're, they're already, they're like my friend. It's it, all I had to do was showcase one simple little word in their language. And, and they light up. It's like, it's like mm-hmm. a, a three, a 180 from, from the, you know, I, this this white guy walks into their car and they're like where am i where am i taking it okay and now all of a sudden we're friends we're talking i'm like hey are you from Addis Ababa what are you doing today like it's just yeah it's, this this sort of connection is is so is so easy to do it's only one word and and unfortunately in america and a lot of other places people just don't care they don't they don't they don't don't find it important to do something like this um and i think that that's a uh a big problem and uh it's not even expected of people which is which is i think the problem and and to be able to to connect with somebody to attune with them is very 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 important uh for i think um to be able to respect someone else's worldview and empathetically act upon uh your uh, your morals so totally um I, I think you speak on so much i think a problem with uh maybe education today when it comes to not i think over the years education has changed from kind of um learning like memorization and more kind of like retaining um, and like not necessarily thinking more about like what is how do we use what do these words kind of mean for in our day-to-day lives um, so with your model that you've had and with this book is there any plans of kind of expansion of like um, using this model in another like way I'm just thinking of like like in the education setting like would you want to um have kids or have youth be able to practice this in their own lives yeah so that that goes back to active learning and and the problems with it and a big the 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 second biggest problem with active learning is that once you learn something actively you need to review it Mm-hmm. in order to remember it so exact so I was an engineer in college and mm-hmm. i 
passed all my engineering classes and I if you put if you put a if you put a calculus test in front of me right now I'd get like a two percent uh, <laughs> tops and so it's like why did I even learn those things I learned them because I wanted to pass a test why did I want to pass the test well I wanted a good GPA why so I could get a good internship so I can get a good job and the the main ideas here is that you're not learning for the sake of learning, you're learning mm. for that external incentive, which is a test grade. And mm. absorbent learning takes that out, takes that, takes that incentive and turns it on its head. And there's no, there's no, there's no tests with absorbent learning. Absorbent learning, the tests happen within your conversations, within your interactions with other people. And and the the education system today is, I mean, it's tied up in lobbies and everything and and, you know you know Mm. people are grandfathered in and so it's going to be it'd be really really hard to change anything there but Mm -hmm. uh absorbent learning is is personal it's a lifestyle it doesn't have to be an education system Mm -hmm. it's it it's it's a lifestyle in itself and uh it takes you know it doesn't even you don't even have to take time out of your day to do it it Absorbent learning happens in your white space. That it's space that already exists and it within your 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 routines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really insightful too, just to think about how we think about education and just kind of reframing like why do I want to learn and like what do I want to learn and like what good does this uh what good comes of this in my life. So that just hearing your thoughts on that has really like just helped me now just think about like what is education. So this this book is <laughs> it's all about that um and um uh, we are just uh, scratching the surface i didn't even i didn't even talk about visual absorbent learning or uh, really auditory absorbent learning but mm-hmm. um but you guys are the jvc i think is really rooted in experiential absorbent learning mm-hmm. and uh, so i think it was really important to talk more about that stuff but yeah uh if your listeners are interested in uh, what absorbent learning is i mean we've we've scratched the surface here, but if they wanted to to uh go on Amazon and search wander purposefully or uh go to it's also on audible and iTunes so I would also invite them to check out the website i mean you it's there are sections they're really it's really cool it's kind of <laughs> act as a both a companion to the audiobook mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. can like click through certain things and I won't detail much about that. You'll have to listen, um, but so here, here's the backstory here. Pat, Pat <laughs> helped me make some of the, the website. So he's really plugging the website. Well, well um, I don't know. Pat, Pat didn't do much. Cody, on the other hand, he, he had his, all right. His nose <laughs> Pat's, Pat's alter ego, Cody. That's uh, really yeah. helped me out. The listeners know now. <laughs> so he's, before you, we let you leave us, before we let you leave us here today, Eric, I'd like to ask you one final question. And it comes from a quote from Thomas Merton, quote, if you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I am living for. In detail, ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing I want to live for. So Eric, I'd just like to ask you, uh, what are you living for? So uh, you guys gave me this question beforehand. And the first thing that I thought of that my instinct was to say, you know, friends and family, 
but I, I kept thinking about it and I was like that, you know, it goes back to the bays and estuaries. Like mm. if everybody was, was thinking only about their, their friends and family, then, you know, they wouldn't be caring about anybody else uh, outside of their own, you know, experience, their own bay. So um, what am I living for? What a, what a, what a, it's what a, a insightful question. and deep question. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I love to learn and I love to get people to learn so that they, you know, I hate all this, this animosity. And I feel like if people uh, could just care a little bit more about other people, then uh, I think, uh, I think the world will be much better off. So um, that's what I'm living for. Mm -hmm. Well, you really are. And you, this book is such a testament to that, Eric, um, just having the privilege of, of working with you um, over, you know, um, two months, two and a half months. Um, and just knowing you, uh, working with you beforehand in a different setting through construction work, and um, you are very much living that out. And um, I just want to sincerely thank you for taking some time to chat with me and being patient with getting all this together. Um, it just, it means the world um, to Billy myself. And, mm -hmm. um, and so thank you. No problem, Pat. Anytime, man. Uh, good to meet you, Billy. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much, Eric. All right. Adios. Adios. <laughs>
lead that that meeting and glad to hear everybody being so open and being so uh, collaborative when it comes to that meeting and comes to making that space open. So I really appreciate that. I think for me, this was, I don't know, it was hard for me to pin down one value because we've been gone for, for now over a week or so. But uh, experience that I wanna really highlight was not this past weekend, but the weekend before, uh, our work hosted students from Xavier University to come for an immersion program. So there was lots of different things that really struck a chord when it comes to the four values of JVC. I think community plays a part. Uh, community, not just with the students, but also community in the sense of going to, we want to various nonprofits within the neighborhood and particularly we went uh one nonprofit that really meant a lot um and i just gained so much from was going to dhdc which is the detroit hispanic development corporation mm. they just do so many great things in not only southwest detroit but also just in the city and frankly as at just a national level of being so engaged with issues pertaining to our country with immigration and it was just great meeting uh, Angie, the executive director, as well as uh, all of their staff and artists that do so many incredible things there and learning about Hispanic and Latino history. Uh, it's just so fascinating and so rich and people should really pay attention more so um, of the rich history of Detroit. It's not just vacant lots. It's not just empty space, but it is there is a huge community and huge vibrancy that mm -hmm. uh, isn't really recognized in the media and recognized just in our country. Yeah. So that was really great in a community aspect. I think a spiritual aspect and a spirituality was going to St. Anne's Church is the second oldest continuously operating parish in the United States. That's amazing. So... That was just really surreal to just be at a parish that it started in 1701, so before George Washington and before so many of like the founding fathers of our country. And wow. so just being in that space, learning about um, all the priests, uh, there's this, uh, this father named Father Gabriel who passed away several, several you know, years ago, but he was a founder of uh, the parish and he, he was on a, an exhibit in the par in the church. So that was a really great spiritual experience. So those two things I want to highlight. And uh, I apologize for not getting one one value down. But That's okay. You, know what? you can talk this about is, more than one value. You know what? This is our podcast, Life. I guess. We yeah. can just we can we can We can bend the values. We can talk we can about the values. So. And so I just want, I just want, I've been thinking a lot about what we talked about with Eric. And that was just really great to talk about how do you view learning and how do you think about learning in your life and how do you use the time in your day to take up learning in new and different ways? I think with the JVC, and Billy, you are touching upon this, but intentionality with time and intentionality mm -hmm. with what we are doing in our day-to-day -day lives. I think Eric does a really unique job of highlighting you know, learning and highlighting how this element and this part of our lives can be tapped into enhancing 
what we mm-hmm. do on a day-to-day basis, whether it is, you know, you're um, a mechanic working nine to eight or you are a lawyer or an artist, mm-hmm. entertainer, the list goes on and on and on. There are these times in your day, the white spaces that if you're going on a commute, if you are in the shower, you know, these pockets of space that can be utilized and enhance your active learning and your day-to-day activities. I just saw so much of the day where I could spend, you know, really maximizing this time. I think being in JVC, being during this time of transition, so much of what Eric is saying of embracing new ideas, embracing a love of learning in different forms is just so I just cling on to that as I grow in my career as I grow personally spiritually I look to to learn more about different perspectives about myself so I really gravitated towards that we talked a little bit about wander purposefully and we didn't get get the full scope of the book so if you are interested in downloading this incredible audiobook, go to Audible or Amazon and find Wander Purposefully. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend it too. I mean, Patrick convinced me to listen to this. You know, I really listened to it so I could be ready for our conversation with Eric, but I just got engulfed. I really just was full with this book and just the ideas of learning. And it's just really, uh, it's just really, it's really great information and really great. So. Mm-hmm. He also has a website, wewanderpurposefully.com. It acts sort of as a companion to the audiobook, as well as a space for users and a community to write and kind of share their, he talks about exper- experiential absorbent learning, and it's just a platform for people to share what they've been doing in their day-to-day lives. So it's just a great space. So keeping all of this in mind with our conversation with Eric, our conversation together today, You know, I've been reading a little bit. Joan Chittister is, she's a nun. She's incredible. She's an activist. She has great thoughts about faith and about life. And uh, she's an author. And a quote from one of her writings really stuck out to me this week. And I'd just like us to end with that uh, as we close our podcast today. So, time is sacred. Time is holy. Time is the raw material of the sacramental. Somehow or other, we have to understand that this life is our life, and the way we spend it is the kind of person we will, in the end, come to be. Thank you again for listening and tuning in to Jesuit Balcony Conversations. We want to be crystal clear that our opinions are our own and not affiliated with the views of the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. If you haven't already, you really should follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and stay tuned for our next episode. We invite you to share this podcast with a friend, a co-worker, or anyone who might be in need. Patrick, what if you could, could you share this podcast with the person on the queue line next to you? Oh, it's my stop. All right. Bye. Bye.